Hi, I'm Lauren Stiving, and on this episode of the Career Success Podcast, we're joined by Sharon Joseph. Sharon has had an 18-year career in large multinationals such as PepsiCo, GSK, and Reckitt Benckiser. She was rapidly promoted and considered a top talent within these organizations. So why leave this fast-track career to then make a complete shift to entrepreneurship? On this episode, we'll be discussing just this. I would like to welcome to the podcast, Sharon Joseph. Thanks, Lauren. I'm really happy to be here and talk about kind of the next chapter of my life and being an entrepreneur. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. I'd like to just start off by asking you, why did you decide to leave large corporate to become an entrepreneur? Big question, because I mean, once you're in corporate, you kind of get to a point where you're used to a great salary and then you're golden handcuffed almost. But I hit a point where I really wanted to, one, kind of take myself to the next level. And I was asking the reasons why I was doing it. Within the corporate landscape, I felt like I was not necessarily using my skills, my capabilities, the things that I could be achieving. Um, And in addition, there's still a lot of bureaucracy. And I was starting to feel like there are things that I wanted to really push within, you know, the context of specific industries. And even um, I had spent a lot of time in healthcare, but I was interested and attracted to other industries. Ultimately, I wanted to do something on my own and um, also kind of inspire and lead a team on my own. Um, And that's when I kind of switched over and really started to think about what industries I'd like to work on. And that's the fire that started, I guess, within me. And then once you get that entrepreneur fire burning, it's really hard to stop. Mm -hmm. And you're now working within alcohol and craft beer industry. Um, Why that industry and, and why now? Yeah, so that, it was an interesting um, switch for me. If you think about healthcare and um, the industry and OTCs and all that, and then looking at alcohol, it's also an extremely regulatory and legally binding industry. So I thought that would apply. The alcohol industry is a $200 billion industry in the US. Um, half of that is um, beer. And um, what, we, what you found in the beer industry is that, uh, you know, 26 billion of that was craft beer and it was growing actually, you know, 13%-ish and then starting to slow, but still 6% growth, whereas overall beer was at around three. Um, What I saw, Lauren, was the attractiveness also in the margins. So these margins in alcohol were similar to pharma. I was used to looking at P&Ls, so profit and loss statements within pharma. And I felt there was a large opportunity to take data that we had in consumer packaged goods and apply it back to the alcohol and specifically the craft beer industry. Um, Just another note, there are 7,000 craft uh, breweries in the US. So that's more than Walmart stores. And most people are within 10 miles of a craft brewery now. And did you know anything about beer before looking into this business? Yeah, funny enough, I used to drink a lot of wine. Um, And so Um, I really became attracted in the industry when I was approached by a few people who were looking at um, beer and healthcare and just startup communities. So we were all working together on consulting for startups. And um, I was introduced to a brand called, um, it's funny to think about it now because I drink so many craft beers from breweries in Brooklyn, Um, Mm -hmm. Moon. And um, I really loved it because it had that kind of slice of orange on it and gave you this new experience when it came to beer. And I was just traditionally had grown up on the typical kind of Budweiser, Bud Light, uh, Coors Light. And so there was just this huge expansion of beer that I had no concept and no idea about. And because I'm a foodie, it was really interesting to see, you know, there are more beers than I even thought. And as many as, you know, varieties when it comes to wine, 
through our beer varieties. And that's when I started to kind of explore um, the history of beer, which is also amazing because if you think about it, it dates back to 5,000 BC. And there's just a tremendous amount of history on how and why we drink beer because it really started with kind of the monks and, you know, being able to sterilize the water and those four ingredients. So it's just always been four basic ingredients. And then we've kind of grown from there. So, you know, within a short period of time, I became um, extremely educated on it. And there's this four levels of training and it's kind of globally, but also in the U.S. It's called Cicerone training here in the U.S. And you become almost a beer, quote unquote, sommelier. So you mm-hmm. go way through blind tasting, um, understanding the hop varietals, um, all the way to food pairing. And so there's just a ton that you can do within the industry. And it's a really good time to be in it right now. Yeah. And one of the toughest parts um, of starting a business, I feel, is identifying, you know, what makes your product or service different. Uh, what What's your value proposition and competitive advantage? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously with um, not having been in the industry as long as many other people, the first thing is that really understanding the needs of the breweries because there are 7,000 of them within the U.S. There are a lot. And the same issues keep cropping up, which is around, hey, as a brewery, I need to make sure that I'm driving sales and I'm profitable. Because there are so many, the competition is increased. And what we really wanted to do at Brewasis um, was create a tech-based platform that would help breweries generate new revenue. And so that our goal would be to give those breweries that work with us an upper hand on being successful both in the short term and the long term. So what we did was we divided up kind of our uh, strategy into three platforms. So one is around how do you look at brewers as a distribution channel and take items that would help them be more profitable in their taproom or keep consumers in the taproom longer or help promote their products better, um, meaning companion products that would be sold together. So things that we could use when it comes to they're already distributing beer. What else could they be sharing in the taproom and then through their distribution channels? Um, So the second thing was around the brewers aren't necessarily brewing 24-7. So they're not seven days a week brewing every day. And there was opportunity to use that capacity for other things. So, you know, looking at big corporate programs, even we just recently did a project with a software tech company called Palantir. It was a five city, three country project where we worked with local breweries. So it was in Sydney, Australia, London, England. In the U.S., it was Palo Alto, Washington, D.C., and New York. Okay. A hackathon. And so we did a branded beer for that hackathon. And so we were able to then distribute to all those countries using local breweries and supporting the local community and local ingredients. And then obviously they were using it for a big event. And then the last thing and probably the most interesting and more long-term strategic move for me is driving sales by looking at data and analytics. And I know all the hot words right now are machine learning and artificial intelligence, but coming from a really heavily data-driven consumer packaged goods background, I really found that the beer industry and in particular craft beer could use some of that beneficial data and analytics to drive the business and the breweries. So we're um, working on proprietary um, tools to be able to help those breweries be more successful. So um, look out for more on that. And our whole concept is around just building better beer brands. Um, So, you know, I want everyone to know that we're here for the long term. And it's something I look for when we look for individuals on our team 
So they obviously have to be really passionate about craft beer, but the alcohol industry overall, which can sometimes be polarizing, and they have to be, um, you know, thinking about digital and analytics and all those elements that are going to help a brewery be more successful. Well, I'm sure you've learned a lot along this journey. I would like if you could share with us some of the top lessons that you've learned since becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. I mean, some of these two, I think um, I learned working in corporate as well. So they apply, but I think I took it to another level when I came and started building my own um, business. So one is around the team. Uh, Funny enough, I've actually built three teams over the course of my business because I've had to pivot. And as an entrepreneur, you know, in your first year, you have to follow what are the issues you're trying to solve for that industry and that specific uh, customer you're targeting. But then in addition, you have to be really nimble. It's funny to look back because we started with more hardware solutions for the breweries and the industry. And I've pivoted since then. And my team um, has to be people that I trust, um, that we respect each other and we hold ourselves accountable. So you really pull the values. And I think within a corporate sphere, you have these values that you set out and you kind of have to put it on a wall and you know, you need everyone to live by them. With an, being an entrepreneur, you can actually build them from the ground up and within. Um, so you select people that live, you know, the values of entrepreneurship, innovation, you know, the whole data and analytics piece. Those are all things we've built into our company and into the individuals that we have that work here. The thing is, too, I find that if you are doing your very best, then often you get it in return and you get people that respect that and also want to do really well for you and the company as well because they have a vested interest. Um, the second thing I'd say is, you know, you, you come out of corporate and you're like, okay, well, how do I make sure that I'm goal setting? And the one thing is we have, you know, you'd have very structured meetings you have to go to and very structured annual planning, et cetera. So you can't lose sight of that as an entrepreneur. You really have to set goals for short-term and then long-term and then even midterm goals. And then continue to look back at those. Because sometimes in, as an entrepreneur, you're running so fast that you forget all the big wins that you've had along the way. Even the fact that I've pivoted three times and I've been nimble enough to do that has been success for me because it's learning failure as an entrepreneur and then picking up and then moving forward again. So I think for your team as well, that you have to set up goals for them so they get more structure. Looking for opportunities, um, you're always going to do that, but you can't be sort of stargazing at it and thinking, okay, there's 15 opportunities I want to go after. You really need to know the ones that are going to drive your sales. And then that are really solving an issue in the industry. So you need to go after the money as always, but it is fundamentally, if you're doing it um, for the the greater good of that industry or the customer you're trying to solve the problem for, you'll see the money follow as well. Uh, Things that I learned um, as well as, you know, the financial acumen that I learned in consumer packaged goods has been amazing because you need to be diligent with your numbers. You can't leave it to the last minute or the last thing you do. Funny enough, my, my bookkeeping didn't, it wasn't as diligent up front. And then you learn that later that you should have ordered QuickBooks a lot or earlier. So that's the tip I give to all entrepreneurs. Um, and everyone kind of told me you need to have a good, you know, $100,000 um, to start with. And mm-hmm. most of the time I'd say people aren't kidding when they say that. So that's a minimum of what you need because you need to have a burn rate to, you know, kind of survive as an entrepreneur yourself. Because you're going back from like to your college days of living and what you're eating and stuff. Because, you know, you get used to a corporate paycheck and then you don't have one coming in. Uh, The other thing I kind of mentioned is um, learning to fail fast and then getting over it because you can't wallow in if something didn't go right or if somebody that you had on your team didn't work out the way you thought it would be or 
you know, even um, had gaining a client, that client didn't work out. I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to dust yourself off and like move on quickly. And the faster you can do that, find the more successful you are, but you obviously have to identify what was the problem or, you know, what could I do differently next time? And then, you know, just kind of live that positivity and resilience. It's, it's something that I think I've even become stronger at. And I thought I was pretty resilient having worked in several companies and having changed countries and cities, but you become even more resilient when you're an entrepreneur and have to fail even faster and get up. Um, selling yourself, that's a big one. I think a lot of females, Lauren, as well, don't have the tendency to toot their own horns. Um, one thing I've had to do is really uh, remind myself kind of where I came from, what's my background, why I think I will be successful as an entrepreneur and running my own business, and especially in a, a very competitive industry. And, you know, I go back to uh, credentials, you know, your education, the number of years of experience you have, those are things that are invaluable in anything you do. And you just should remind yourself that, you know, this is what you wanted to do, but also you have the backing to be able to do it. And you should sell that to other people because they don't know when they meet you for the first time, what your background is, you know, where you came from, why you think you can be an entrepreneur. And it's not like they're, you know, sitting there looking at your LinkedIn profile to get the whole backstory. But, you know, the, the better you get at selling yourself and your business in that pitch, um, the more successful you'll be. Um, and then the last thing I'll kind of say is surround yourself with great mentors and cheerleaders um, because you're not in kind of the corporate environment where you see people every day, you affiliate with people that would be constantly motivating you. Uh, you wake up and you are at your desk motivating yourself. And what I've done is really picked up, you know, not only professional individuals who are either in my industry or know my background, but people that wouldn't necessarily know my work, but have, you know, a good solid sense of what it takes to be an entrepreneur and a successful one. And then I have family and friends that are just there to be my cheerleaders when I'm having a day where that says, you know, God, what am I doing? Which, you know, you question that every day, but those days where you're really like, holy, this is hard. It's taking a lot longer to gain clients than I thought, or it's taking a lot longer to, you know, get ahead on the sales that I wanted to get. Those individuals are the ones that really help you um, through those tough times. And so I'm very thankful for my team and my family and friends for doing that for me because, you know, they're helpful not only in knowing you, but also being able to, to give some wisdom in terms of being able to support you through those times. That's kind of those, those are kind of my tips for, you know, what, what I learned as I moved into from corporate anyways, into an entrepreneur. Well, no, they're, they're great. I can say, I agree with, with all of them. I already was going to comment on the surrounding yourself with, with great mentors. I completely agree that I've had the luck of having two great mentors since starting uh, Ellis International, and they've really helped a lot. I would suggest from from my experience that it could be one, you know, with more similar industry knowledge and then one from a very different background that will really present, you know, different ideas and solutions, which probably you may have never thought of. And from the family and friends perspective, absolutely. <laughs> I think that um, anyone that would try to start a business and not have their husband or wife on board, I think it would be almost impossible because you really need them there cheering your you on and from a family perspective as well. Yeah, I agree. One other thing I forgot to mention too is work your network, Lauren. I think um, one of the things 
females sometimes often do as well is not look at your network as the number one area you should start with. And I know a lot of my um, male founders said, you know, that was the first thing they looked at. So, you know, leveraging your network as much as possible is another tip I would say I learned. Yeah, I think I've known a lot of female entrepreneurs as well. And I think from the point of, you know, learn how to sell yourself, I think initially they focus so much on their product or their service and they don't explain anything about themselves, kind of what you were saying. And I mean, it could be, it could be male or female, but I think I have seen more females struggling with that, like introducing themselves first before their product maybe makes them feel uncomfortable and and it shouldn't because yeah, they they're there for a reason and they're there and other people aren't. So, you know, to always keep that in mind and, and don't be afraid to discuss your background and how you feel and why you started the business, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, just to, to close off any words of encouragement to give to other entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. Um, the, the bottom line, Lauren, is, and I know you know this as well, is it is tough. It's hard. It's not, if, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I think uh, that's something my dad reminds me every time we have a chat. And my family has always been super supportive of me going after um, my entrepreneur desires. I think if you have, uh, you know, the chance to make sure you have a clear direction um, and follow your North Star. Uh, and and just make sure that you have something that you're documenting the journey because things happen and things change so quickly. I, I laugh at where I thought I was last year to where I am now, but because I have so many things that, you know, whether it's my business plan or financials, things that have showed me along the way that, hey, I am learning, I'm getting better at what I'm, you know, where my positioning is for a company and where I think we'll be generating revenue. And I'm extremely excited about you know, starting 2019, but even having driven revenue in my first year of my business, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of my team. So I think you're always going to have stress. You're always going to have things, even if you worked a corporate job versus being an entrepreneur, I think entrepreneurs, we thrive on it, but we just need to kind of roll with the times and, you know, know that there would be peaks and valleys and it's those peaks that we really go after. Um, and then, you know, you'll, you'll be amazed at, the, this will be the last thing I kind of end with. You'll be amazed at the people that will be cheering you on, people that you wouldn't even expect coming out of the woodwork or, you know, wherever the typical places are nowadays, which are LinkedIn. Wait for that and really take it in and enjoy it. And, and it's all a journey for all of us. So, you know, be proud of your accomplishments and good luck. Yeah, that's that's great and completely agree. I think that a lot of times where I've seen other people that I've spoken with that because of social media and Instagram and Facebook and all of these things, they see, let's say, these young entrepreneurs that are 22 and are millionaires, and they think that they should be there, or they think that it's easy because of that. And I'm always there, not that I'm, you know, the most wise person, but saying, look, people are going to portray themselves in, in whichever way they can, but just wait for it, keep working hard, and, and it will come for sure. Yeah. I 100% agree. So, and it's always a pleasure working with you, Lauren. Yes, thank you so much. And um, I've really appreciated having you on the podcast today. Thank you.